0: This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Reading of God's good and holy word comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer, sacrifice, to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Do not let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, In a fool's voice, with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear.
1: So good, good morning again, First Prez, uh, just happy to be with you um, if you have your copy of God's Word, we are there in Ecclesiastes. We're continuing our series this summer on a summer of wisdom, and we're picking apart the, the various books, so we'll see how that works. Okay. Um, let's, let's pray. Let's pray that that works, and then uh, we'll pray and ask God to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are very blessed to be your people. As we sit in your house and we get to praise your name because, Lord, we know the abundance of love that flows from you. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sins. We're thankful, Lord, for the relationship we can have not as servants but as sons and daughters. The idea that we've been adopted into your family is incredible, that we've been given the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit placed upon us. I pray that we would see the abundance of goodness that flows from you, and that, Lord, based upon that, our hearts would be stirred to worship you as you desire to be worshiped. God, there are many things in this world that pull for our attention, but, God, you are the thing, you are the one that matters most. And so, God, I pray that our hearts would be knit with you. I pray that we would love you. God, I do recognize that there are many in our congregation that are struggling. They struggle with physical needs. Think of those in the hospital. We think, Lord, of those who have doctor appointments that they're already dreading. We pray, God, for those who are working through uh, recovery with physical therapy. Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon each need. But Lord, we also recognize that there are emotional needs in our congregation. There are many who've lost loved ones who feel alone and abandoned. God, I pray that they would experience your power and strength, your provision and care. And God, I do pray for spiritual healing for all of us. God, I pray that our eyes would be turned towards you and that those individuals that we were when we walked into this place, that we would be new when we leave, that we would be created more and more in the image of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for my words that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but God, I pray that I would be faithful in its entirety and that you would use this time together to bless each and every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Just excuse me. I'm going to try to unplug this and plug this back in, because if I don't, silence. At camp, I would have had you all sing, sing something, but we're not at camp anymore, so I can't do that. All right. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but currently there is a great debate going on I mean like a literal war and that war and that debate is centered around pizza really there's a hot debate it's all over the internet right now whether or not pineapple belongs on pizza I don't know if you've been following it but everybody has their opinion everybody's an expert literally everybody has their opinion and is an expert In fact, today, when we look across the landscape of our society and culture, we recognize that experience is king. Whatever I experience, whatever I know, that's all that really matters. Therefore, we live in a day and age where everyone is an expert. Everyone is an expert. The problem with that is when the real experts speak, everyone's talking and no one's listening. What is an expert? An expert is one who knows everything they need to know about a specific topic. Whether they're an inventor or they're a creator, they understand everything that is necessary to be known about that topic. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us who the expert really is as it points us back to our God. As you read through Ecclesiastes, it's just made up of about 12 chapters. It's interesting that constantly he draws us back to who's really in charge, God. The preacher, if you will, of Ecclesiastes constantly wants to have us be confronted with the reality that we're not the expert, God is the expert. God understands why the world was created. God understands how he made us and what we were made it for. And ultimately, God understands why he should be worshipped and how he should be worshipped. Notice verse 1 of our text. It says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Interesting statement right there from the preacher of Ecclesiastes. He, he starts with this important phrase of remembering who's in charge. He goes on to say, "...to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they, what, that, that they are doing evil." He goes on to say, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. And here's the reason. Notice what he says at the end of verse 2. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Friends, as you read those few words, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is showing us the great divide. He's showing us the difference between who is really the expert and who is not. As he draws our attention to this, he's saying God is the creator over all, he is the king of kings. His throne is in heaven over everything. And you, you're on earth. Your focus is limited, it's narrow, it's not all inclusive. Interesting enough, as he begins to walk through this pattern or this cadence of of commands that we're going to see, he ends with something that's very important. Look at the very end of verse 7. God is the one you must fear. God is the one you must fear. I would love to stand before you today and say that that word fear is the same idea as in Proverbs, which just means reverence or respect. But that word fear here in Ecclesiastes actually means to be afraid. And what the preacher of Ecclesiastes is telling us is to remember our place. We're not experts, we don't know everything, but God is. And therefore, we should submit to God and his authority. That's the point of what the preacher of Ecclesiastes is writing. You're on the earth. You're mere dust. You're part of the creation, but not God. God sits in heaven. He is over all. And therefore, God must be feared. I would say it this way to our culture today, I would say God must not be ignored. See, we're in the habit of worshiping everything but the living and true God today. As we look through the scope of everything man worships, everything that's important to man, everything that man will commit to, there are so many things that take the place of God. The preacher of Ecclesiastes would say that's foolishness. It's foolishness. There is only one who is the expert, and we must all bow a knee to him. Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5 teach us that we must worship God. The worship of God matters. And how we worship God matters. The very end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 reads this way. Fear God, there he states it again. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret sin. Whether good or evil, everything, everything, everything will be held accountable. So fear God and keep his commandments. I wish I could stand in the pulpit and say, God doesn't care how you live. God doesn't care what you do. You know how easy I'd make my job? You know how easy my job would be if that were the case? But that's not the case. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book that is speaking to our generation. It matters who God is. It matters who we are. It matters how we go about doing the things we do in our lives. And here's why the preacher of Ecclesiastes would say, because he's king. He's ruler over all. And as a king rules his kingdom and has the right to demand how his subjects honor him, how much more does the king of kings have the right to demand how we would honor him? Friends, let me give you a couple pictures very quickly from the Old and New Testament. God's wrath is poured out upon those who do not honor him the right way. The first way place we see this, not the first place in the Bible, but the first illustration I'm going to give you is through Nadab and Abihu. Those two men that decided they were going to offer what is literally called strange fire before God. That's all they did. They went to worship. They even made an offering, but it wasn't what God commanded. And what happened to them? Poof. In the Old Testament, we say, that's the book of Leviticus, Aaron. That's not for us today. God's different today. Has God changed? No. If that weren't enough, we see in the New Testament two times where we're told of Jesus cleansing the temple. One in John chapter 2 and the other in Matthew chapter 21, we're told that he took the time to actually make a cord, a whip, where he went around flipping tables and whipping people for what? Making the house of God a den of thieves. Two times. It's believed by many scholars that he did it at the beginning of his ministry and he did it again at the end of his ministry. Why? Because we have the habit of going back to the way we do things. But again and again, he made sure that we would understand the house of God is to be honored. The worship of God is to be done the way God desires. See, friends, let's be clear. Being wise, according to the preacher of Ecclesiastes, is knowing God is serious about worship. You want to be wise? It's about knowing that God is serious about worship. Now, we can get very serious about the worship of the things of this world. Let me tell you, at home, when a Michigan football game is on, everybody better be quiet. I have a TV to myself. I'm dressed from head to toe in blue and gold. I am singing the fight song in my head throughout every touchdown, every interception. Everything they do right, I celebrate. And when they don't, I weep. I am emotionally attached to a Michigan football team that most of you don't even care about. The fear, though, is that we worship the wrong things. We give it our allegiance. We give it all of our support. We give it our attention, our time. We'll we'll orchestrate whole events of celebration around those things we worship. But when it comes to the living and true God, we give him what's left over. We give him the scraps under the table. We don't give God the honor that's due his name. We forget that He is in heaven and we are on earth. We forget that He sees all and we perceive that we're the expert. When all the while He says, this is not the case. And so I draw your attention to the words of the preacher in verse one. He says, Guard your steps. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Guard your steps. It's interesting to me, he makes the assumption that people are going to the house of God. In that culture, it would have been expected for people to go to the house of God, as it would have been probably 50, 60 years ago today. Yet how many have this wrong? For many today ignore the house of God altogether. The house of God is not a priority in any way. The assembling of the saints really doesn't matter much on their list of priorities. The worship of the congregation isn't something that they see as necessary in their lives. But they're not alone. There are many houses of worship that actually are gathering together, but they're ignoring truly and rightly worshiping the Lord. They worship everything else. I heard recently a story from a friend who told me that a church he once attended He served on the leadership, and in that leadership, they were gathering together, and they brought a prayer bowl because they were all going to pray around the prayer bowl. How easily the goofiness of the world slips in and robs God of his worship. How quickly we begin to think we're the experts and we know best. We're smarter than everyone else but we miss the reality that God is the expert. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he wants to be worshiped his way. So while there are those who ignore the house of God and there are houses of worship that ignore the worship of God, there's yet other problems that exist. There are still others who seek to worship the Lord and actually seek to worship him, but they worship him their own way. Rather than ever considering the prescribed way of Scripture, the things that God would desire, they decide they're going to be smarter than God and say, this is what God would like, because this is what I like. This is how I think God would be honored. Friends, when did we take the seat of the expert? When have we presumed to know the mind of God? That's why... The preacher of Ecclesiastes said, Guard your steps. Watch your steps. Watch yourself. Watch yourself when you come before God. This deals with our heart attitude. This deals with the way in which we approach the living and true God. The question is Do I come humbly? Do I come recognizing my need? Do I recognize his glory? Am I in a place where I'm here to worship him or myself? Let me tell you, I love people. I absolutely do. I love ministry. Those are two things that I just absolutely live for. I'm thankful that God has called me to the ministry, but there's nothing sadder than when we get notes, those little love notes you get. Everybody tells you they know how to do it better. Friends, we're trying to seek to do it God's way. Will we do it perfectly? No. But know our hearts, the elders, the teachers, the leaders. We're seeking to lead God's way. COVID really tested me in a lot of ways as a leader to say, what are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be faithful? What does God require? And we wrestled and we prayed and we wrestled because our objective was not to please ourselves nor to simply please you. Our goal was to please God. Did we do it perfectly? No. In many ways, we had to learn a lot of things. We had to see a lot of blind spots. We had to learn as we went, but God was faithful in his grace and his mercy. But all the while, when I read this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. It commands us and expects us to be going to the house of God. It expects us to go with humility. Recognizing we're not the expert. He goes on to say at the end of verse 1 that when we draw near, we draw near to listen. We don't draw near to speak. We draw near to hear. For we gather together to hear God speak. He speaks through his word. That's the primary way God speaks. And he admires and loves and cherishes and celebrates. Whatever words you put in there, he he does prayers that are word-driven. These are the things that God loves John chapter 4, verse 24, the Apostle John, who who loved Jesus so dearly, he writes this when he speaks of Jesus' own words. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Friends, our goal is not just to fill your heads, nor just to make you feel happy. Our goal is that our spirits are being fed by the Holy Spirit in spirit and truth. And that should be our desire, that everything we do is truth-centered, but Spirit-focused. The preacher of Ecclesiastes goes on, he says, don't use rash or hasty words. He's referring here specifically to our prayers. He's talking about how at times we can be unguarded or quick in the way we talk about God. We can be flippant the way we approach God. It reminds us how careful we are to be for that is a way in which we take God's name in vain. The preacher is preaching to us and reminding us we are not God but he is God and therefore we meet God on his terms not on our terms. So therefore don't come rashly or speedily but come carefully. Come Come prepared. Don't let your hearts be hasty. Another way to say this is think before you speak. Choose your words carefully. See, friends, words matter, don't they? In the book of James, he writes in James chapter 3 some very interesting words. He he makes it very clear that words are like a bit in a horse's mouth which can steer the whole body of the horse, yet it's so small. He then compares words to the rudder which steers a great ship. He then compares words to just a little spark that sets a whole forest ablaze. How powerful are our words. And he says how important it is that when we pray, we guard our words. The safest way to pray is to pray God's will be done. To honor God With hearts that are truly humble and submissive to his will rather than always demanding our will because we're not the expert he is. See, friends, his point that the preacher of Ecclesiastes is making is wisdom is guarding your words, especially in worship. Wisdom is guarding your words, especially in worship. He moves on from there, and he begins to talk very specifically about our words as he talks about vows. Look at verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. Interesting enough, we often don't think about vows. We don't think about the fact that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. We make vows all the time when we tell people we'll be somewhere and we're not. And people begin to lose respect for us. When we say we'll do something and we don't. That's how businesses go under because their word means nothing. How much more do our vows or our promises to God mean? Our own statement of faith says this about vows. In the Westminster Confession, chapter 22, it says this, a lawful oath is a part of religious worship don't miss that a lawful oath is a part of religious worship wherein upon occasion the person swearing swearing solemnly called himself to god and, and, and say god hear ultimately hear my promise the, the confession goes on to say whoever takes an oath ought to duly consider the weightiness of what they're making that oath about. Friends, do we really consider the fact that our words, our our vows before God are part of our religious worship? The things that we say, the things that we promise. Today we saw individuals stand before us and take vows. We do that on purpose. It's part of the religious worship. And part of those vows are for the peace and the unity and the harmony of the church. Part of those vows are promises that we lead complete allegiance to Christ. He goes on to say in verse 5, it's better not to even vow than to vow and not fulfill it. How important this is for each and every one of us to really think about the things we say. When we're saying, uh, God, thank you for everything, do we really mean it? When we say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, do I truly believe that I've sinned against a holy and perfect God? These are the ways our prayers are made up, the things that we say when we communicate to God. But do our words really carry the weight they're supposed to in the worship of God? Notice verse 7, the preacher says, When dreams increase and words are many, there's vanity. Friends, how often our words are just meaningless, and God knows our hearts. Friends, as you read this, as you see the weight of Ecclesiastes, you understand that the preacher is preaching us to recognize we are not God, and we must submit to his authority. He must become priority. He must be the center of our worship. You know, as I read that verse seven and I see the words, when dreams increase, I realize a lot of people have aspirations and hopes. And I realize that ultimately a lot of people even dream things that, that they're willing to do for God. But do we count the cost? Do we really sincerely count the cost? I think of all the blessings of seminary, seminary men that have come through our church, people that have desired to plant churches, one of the things I look in their eyes and I ask him, do you know what you're signing up for? Believer, do you know what you're signing up for? Do we count the cost? Jesus said, ultimately, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways through the scriptures. He repeats that kind of theme throughout. It's, It's said in the Old Testament, but it's repeated in every which way. Jesus tells the story of a man who didn't count the cost when he was making a building. How often we do that. We give God lip service, but we've not truly counted the cost for what it is to follow and worship him appropriately. Friends, we need to remember our vows before God. We must remember that our words are not taken lightly by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who in him there is no darkness, there is no shadow of turning. He is perfectly gracious and merciful, but he will not be mocked. You know, as I stand here, I realize the point is we must be wise in our worship through our words. We must be wise in our worship with our words. It's a scary thing for a man whose whole profession is built upon preaching. (laughs) It's an intimidating thing to realize the responsibility I have to stand before you. And yet in that same passage where James talks about the rudder, and he talks about the power of the little rudder that turns the whole ship, he gives a warning in that same chapter. Listen to what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you who know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Friends, I believe that to be a truth and a responsibility for all who stand behind this pulpit that we have a responsibility to be faithful to the Word of God, even when it's not convenient or comfortable, even when culture pushes in and says it won't align, we don't align. We have a responsibility because we understand who's really in charge. But friends, as a church, do we really understand who's in charge? Are we living our lives centered around Christ? Are we careful with our words and our worship to make sure they match the things that God demands Because we are told repeatedly that we're to fear God. For he is in heaven and we're merely on earth. Friends, as I share this, this is a lot of bad news, isn't it? This is a lot of bad news because there's not one of us in this room, including myself, who just read a passage of scripture that can indict me. This is bad news because there is not one of us who lives up to this expectation. We have all fallen prey to using loose words regarding the worship of our God. And all of us deserves to fall into the hands of an angry God. Because he is worthy of proper worship. He is worthy of all of our attention. You know why? We don't exist without him. We don't even have the ability to breathe without him. And we surely do not have salvation and hope without him. But see, that's the good news, isn't it? That he didn't leave us there. That Jesus is faithful where we are broken. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what the Bible points to, that ultimately Jesus is faithful in all of the ways that we fail. Where our worship is imperfect and sinful even, his worship of, of, of the living and true God was perfect here on earth. He even said everything he did, he did to please the Father. In everything, Jesus sought that he would fulfill the Father's plan. Jesus was faithful in every vow. He was perfect in every word, fulfilling them no matter the cost. And see, Jesus is the one who makes our worship perfect. Jesus makes what we do here today acceptable. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we read, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, listen to this, we have peace. Not wrath, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. We're not at war, we're at peace. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and verse 16, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Don't be weary, he says. Don't be afraid. Hold fast to your confession. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. As much as I fail, Christ holds me up. As many times as I am defeated by my sin, Christ holds me up. See, that's what the Old Testament preacher of Ecclesiastes wasn't able to process. He didn't have the same confidence that you and I are able to have because he looked forward to what would come. We're able to look back at what has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Friends, we understand this. It's by grace that we're saved. And therefore, it is by grace that we strive with confidence in our worship. What was yesterday we leave behind and we march forward by grace, recognizing that it's through Christ's righteousness that our worship is acceptable. It's through the Holy Spirit's empowerment that we are enabled to worship acceptable. Yet there is still a warning to the church. We must never fall into the attitude of giving God the leftovers. He is worthy of all of our attention. He is worthy of all of our worship. For it's by his grace we are saved. And those who seek to worship God, seek to worship God as he wishes to be worshipped. They worship him out of hearts filled with gratitude. Let me tell you, if your heart is filled with gratitude, specifically about Christ, all you're going to want to do is praise his name. Your life is going to be centered around him, for he is worthy, because he saved you, a sinner. So friends, I ask you just a few questions as we depart. Do you know the joy of being at peace with God through Christ. Do you know that joy? Are you seeking to worship God faithfully as he wants to be worshiped? Is that your desire? I think about even in marriages, when two people truly love each other, they pursue the joy one for the other. How much more when we understand we're nothing but a filthy sinner and our Savior Christ has given himself for us? Are we seeking to worship God faithfully? And finally, are you guarding your words? Are you guarding your words? Are you being careful and intentional to fulfill all that you promise? For this is what it means to be a faithful follower of King Jesus. And friends, these are the marks of one who truly believes. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles from an Old Testament book in many ways that can bring fear into our lives, as we recognize that all of our words and all of our actions will be judged by a perfect and holy God. As it stirs in us fear because we recognize that we don't measure up, may we run to the Messiah, the hope of the gospel, Jesus Christ Himself, the one who was perfect in our place, the one who stood. In our condemned position, nailing all of our sins to the cross. The one who clothes us in his righteousness, his perfection, so that our deeds are now good because of Christ. Our worship is now acceptable because of his faithfulness. God, may that bring joy to the believer here. But Lord, for those who are afar off, I pray that you would bring the fear of God into their lives, and help them to run towards you. The only Savior, our Lord, Christ, amen.
0: This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.